I go by the Fit Foodie. So fitness through exercise, yes, but really primarily through food is really where I help to focus people because I had an eating disorder for almost a decade. And taught me was you can't ever really do that to your body and expect it to perform and thrive and to be a healthy functioning adult. And I I really want to convey that because I think a lot of people who are really into fitness think that they can just burn off calories, but you can't. It's information. So you can't burn off information. You can't just eat whatever you want and think you're going to burn it off. In terms of burning fat and, and building muscle, you know, if you don't eat enough protein, um, your efforts might actually undo what you're trying to, to build. So, you know, I think my whole philosophy is helping the inner athlete, whether you're a professional athlete or you're just a, a fitness enthusiast, be in the best shape that you can be, but you can't let the food be sort of the, the, the afterthought with, with only focusing on the fitness. Hi, I'm Pete McCall. Now, welcome to this episode of the All About Fitness Podcast. That voice you heard in the beginning is the guest for this episode, Chef Maria Ibrahim. Now, before I go into the full introduction for Chef Ibrahim, I want to tell you a little story. On my first date with my ex-wife, I took her to one of my favorite restaurants in the D.C. area. Well, let, let me restate that. I took her to what should be considered a deli, not a restaurant. Because let's be honest, I'm a fitness guy. I work out. To me, food is utilitarian. And as a, as a male in my early 20s, where a lot of my food revolved around eating at a rugby bar after rugby training or after matches, I really didn't have a very shall we say, extensive or very sophisticated palate. Now, my ex-wife worked part-time for one of the top chefs in D.C. She worked as a hostess and she worked as a server. And it really was, throughout our relationship, I really have to credit with my ex-wife with opening my eyes to what good food could be. Over the years, we went to various restaurants. Back in the early 2000s, in 2003, actually, we were in New York for a fitness conference. Maybe it was 2004. Yeah, I think it was 2004. In 2004, we were in New York for a fitness conference, and a couple of friends of ours were there with us. The one gentleman, she had been the mentor. She had mentored him in teaching him how to teach group fitness, and his boyfriend owned a couple of different restaurants in the D.C. area and treated us to this most one of the most amazing meals I've ever had in my life at Chef Marcus Samuelson's restaurant, Aquavit, in Manhattan at the time. It really, since that time, since the early 2000s and since my relationship with my ex-wife, I have really come to appreciate and respect the amount of work that goes into fine food. And I have to admit, just like I mean, a lot of us know that you get to a certain point in life, once you stay at a Ritz-Carlton, it's really, really hard to go back to a Motel 6. Once you've gone out to some very nice restaurants, it is very difficult to go somewhere else. It's very difficult to, no offense, go to a TGI Fridays or an Applebee's. It just, yeah, food is food, but it, no, it, it's not the same at all. That's why when I got the opportunity to speak with Chef Maria, I really was looking forward to it. Number one, she call, she labels herself Fit Foodie, and her blog is called eatcleaner.com, and I'll have links down to that below in the show notes. So she's somebody who combines her interest in food along with her interest in exercise. 
And of course, that's like a no-brainer for me, right? I'm always interested in having a conversation around nutrition and learning more about that. Chef Maria is also a health coach, so we talk a little bit about what goes into healthy planning and how what some steps that you can do to eat a little healthier. Because let's face it, if you like to exercise, the food we eat is the fuel that gives us the energy to exercise. And the one thing I've always told clients, well, two things I've always told clients, when they've asked me about food, when they've asked me about nutrition, my response has always been, be a good B student. What I mean by that is do the right thing 85 to 90% of the time. We know what we're supposed to eat, vegetables, whole foods. We know what we're not supposed to eat. A lot of processed foods, a lot of sugary foods. So if you eat the stuff you're supposed to eat about 85% of the time, a good B student gets 85%, right? If you eat right 85% of the time, you can have a little bit of fun on the other 10 or 15%. And, and those of you that know me, I am not Johnny Sixpack. I don't exercise specifically for appearance. In my opinion, exercise is about performance. And that's one thing I've always, that's, that's my approach I've always taken to nutrition is try to do the right thing most of the time and just enjoy life a little bit. The other thing I like to point out to clients is if you have a nice automobile, if you have a Porsche, if you have a Maserati, a Ferrari, you're not going to put the cheapest gas. You're not going to go down the 7-Eleven down the corner and put the cheap gas in the gas tank. The same thing goes in our bodies, especially as we get a little bit older. As we age, the nutrition we eat, what we eat is really essential to performance. We talk about that a little bit. We go into some of the foods. And what's fascinating, and, and this is going to be my hook, what's fascinating is there are some foods that, can, that can, you can eat that really can help with your sex drive and your sex performance. You interested in that? Now, if you're interested in, in sex performance, it's also important to note that the right strength training program can increase levels of testosterone. There's a lot of research to show that no matter how old you are, doing high-intensity strength training can elevate levels of testosterone. Also, for women, doing high-intensity strength training can elevate levels of growth hormone. Both of those are essential. Growth hormone can help us burn fat and help our skin look younger. Testosterone, well, for men, testosterone does a lot of things, including keep your spouse or keep your significant other happy on a Friday or Saturday night. If you're looking for information about how you can work out more efficiently, you can check down below in the show notes. I have a couple workout programs down there. I have a pre-program. I'm selling them for less than $20. They're eight-week programs, a kettlebell program, a dumbbell strength program, a functional core training program. But I'm really excited about this. I know I've been talking about it a little bit, and I had to push back the date a little bit because here where I live in California, we found out that our schools are starting at the end of September. So we've been balancing homeschool. We're getting ready to start a, a partial school. Anyway, we all know what's happening with all that stuff. So I've had to push back the start date. But I'm going to be starting a small group training program. This is going to be a small group training program online, doing it through Zoom. I'm going to have information down below in the show notes. You can go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's PeteMcCallFitness.com. Sign up for my mailing list. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. I'm going to send you a chapter from my book, Smarter Workouts. And what I'm going to do for the workout program, it's going to be a six-week program, is I'm going to be going through workouts and Smarter Workouts. You're going to be going through strength training, mobility training, metabolic conditioning. It's going to be about 85 90% working out and about 10 to 15% book club. So go to PeteMcCallFitness.com. Sign up for my mailing list or send me an email, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Shoot me an email, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com, and I will send you more information about the group coaching program. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to giving you resources 
for how we can use exercise to manage our, our quality of life. Now back to the introduction. Chef Morea has done a number of things to try to promote healthy eating and clean eating. One of the things she wrote, and when I saw the title of this book, I knew immediately she was somebody I wanted to speak with. Her book is called Eat Like You Give a Fork. I'll say that again. With a book title like Eat Like, Eat like You Give a Fork, why wouldn't I want to have a conversation with her? So here we are with a guest for this episode, Chef Morea Ibrahim. Today we're speaking with Morea Ibrahim, a.k.a. The Fit Foodie. How are you doing today, Morea? I'm great. How are you? So good to be with you. It's a pleasure. I really appreciate your time. And I want to ask you about your book, but what really struck out to me, I just want to mention it to listeners because, and this is for PR people. If any PR people are listening, you have to be able to write a good pitch. And what really struck out to me was Eat Like You Give a Fork. You know, I, really, I, I love the title. And I want to come back to that book in a second. But why Why do you call yourself the fit foodie? Where, where did you get that moniker? Because you were just explaining something to me about your approach to fitness through food. And, mm-hmm. I, and I love that. And I want to listen, have listeners, we can get started by just having you describe why you, why you refer to yourself as the fit foodie. Sure, sure. Well, let me just uh, give you the, the quick background because um, I could talk about this for days. But the quick background is I've always been an athlete. Um, I played club soccer, um, played on a touring team before women were really even playing soccer back, back in the day. Um, and I, um, you know, I was a cyclist and have always really enjoyed the buzz that you get from from being active. You know, I remember being seven years old, dancing around in my, uh, in my living room at home, watching the Olympics, watching gymnastics. And my parents would tell me I was just like a monkey. I was always flipping around doing something, you know, active. And so the active side of me allowed me for many, many years to just kind of eat um, eat whatever I want, not really focus on it. You know, when you're young and you're a teenager, like you can do whatever you want basically. And then it started to catch up with me and I could tell I was sluggish after eating certain things and I wasn't performing well. And I would feel like wanting to take a nap instead of getting on my bike or going to, you know, run, um, and do what I needed to do to get in physical condition for, for competitive soccer. So um, it it just kind of made me become aware. And then what happened from there was I kind of swung the other way and I developed a pretty severe eating disorder for a good, the good portion of 10 years, a whole decade. And the net net was I knew I couldn't live eating with abandon, you know, just eating whatever the fork I wanted and not really thinking about it. And I couldn't live happily restricting my calories to the point where I was like eating almost nothing. So there had to be a happy medium. And that's really where I started diving into nutrition and understanding the macronutrients that you need to build muscle and to enhance your um, cardiovascular condition and get yourself in training form. And that's really the philosophy behind my book, Eat Like You Give a Fork, the real dish on eating to thrive, because I think people feel like, you know, if they're active, they can sort of undo anything. And that just couldn't be further from the truth. You know, that's a huge, that is a huge issue. And I I think a lot of people overlook that. Now, the next, what I want to kind of start with too, uh, Maria, is really, is your background. We were talking about this a little bit before because I find this somewhat fascinating. 
your, your background, you're Egyptian. And so how has that influenced? I know that's probably been, we, we talked a little bit about diversity before I hit the record button, but how has being Egyptian also and being from, and part of my, part of me, if I, if I don't have this on, on the top of my head, is, is Egypt considered part of Africa or is Egypt considered part of Middle East, the Middle East? It, it's actually considered both. Um, it's the only country that's considered part of both geographic areas. And what um, I, I found, you know, in my upbringing is I was really blessed with um, a family that enjoys cooking and, and most Egyptians do, you know, eating is a big part of our culture, um, going shopping every single day for those fresh ingredients is part of our culture. And so that was really inherent in what I knew and what I, um, what I was kind of formed with in terms of my taste buds. And I think having that appreciation for it, even from, you know, early on was always there, even if I wasn't adhering to it, you know. And that was, and what's fascinating is, is I was preparing for this and going through some notes. I lived in Washington, D.C. for a long time and have been, have been very fortunate to be exposed to a number of different uh, food from a number of different cultures. Washington has a very vibrant Ethiopian and East African. So that was a food that I didn't eat a lot growing up, but I've had Ethiopian food. And one of my, a couple of my favorite places have always been one of one of my go-tos if I'm looking for a quick meal out is Mediterranean, like Lebanese or Turkish. And so I have to admit, I really am not that familiar with Egyptian cuisine. Cuisine. How would you describe an Egyptian, a typical Egyptian meal? Um, so where my family is from, we're from Alexandria. So we're right on the Mediterranean. And it is your typical Mediterranean diet. Um, a lot of fresh seafood. Um, you, we have a lot of fresh produce, a big emphasis on tomatoes and eggplant and peppers and celery and lots of fresh herbs, onions, garlic. Um, we eat um, gra- simple grains like bulgur and um, couscous and uh, you know, freak, which is uh, an, another grain that's really good for you and a great source of trace minerals and fiber. Um, we eat some dairy, but most of it is like sheep and, and goat milk, um, like feta cheese and farmer's cheese that's made from uh, sheep's milk. And, um, you know, lots of water. I mean, you know, sugary sodas and things like that didn't really come into the fray until much later. And usually only kind of the wealthier people can afford those sodas and things like that, processed foods. So our food is very typically the Mediterranean diet, which is one of the best, you know, really the best eating plans that you could have. Very well balanced and very... Um, and uh, very seasonal, you know, we eat with the seasons. And, and that's, uh, as you say that, what, what pops to mind is that I think it's a book on blue zones on where people live, have the highest longevity or the longest longevity. And it tends to be Italy, Greece, around the Mediterranean, yes. as well as Okinawa and then certain parts. And a lot of it has to do with what you just described with fresh fish and access to, to high quality ingredients. Now, before we go much further, I really, I need to admit something and, and please don't get mad at me, but I really would not consider myself much of a foodie. I can, you know, I look at food, like I could enjoy a very, my ex-wife always enjoyed good restaurants and, and I do enjoy going to a good restaurant and I don't mind at all 
the, the cost of going to, to a great place and that, cause you know, you're going to have an experience, you know, the food is high quality, but I really am the type of person that, you know, just a, a, I'm the type of person where just having a smoothie or having a quick sandwich or having a snack is more than enough. And I don't always need to make food an event. So I do apologize about that. Oh, so, no. And, and no apology, that. no apology necessary. You know, I think you don't, and I really want people listening to understand that every meal doesn't have to be this big production. I think it it's more about having full awareness. Like if you go to do your workout, you know, you kind of, most people have a plan of what they're going to do. They're going to, you know, do X, Y, Z number of reps. They're going to hit, you know, certain muscle groups on certain days. They know how much cardio they're going to do. I want people to think about food the same way. You know, it's not just a haphazard occurrence where you kind of open up the refrigerator and things jump out at you, right? You know, there's just there's just a little bit of planning and it doesn't have to be a production. It just is more about getting the right nutrients in so that you can be your optimal, you know? You everything all the systems in your body are working the way they're supposed to. Well, and I want to come back to that because you described you described a little bit about that that being that your approach to fitness. But the first one I want to ask you is what what motivated you to become a chef? Was it your background, your growing up with the food that you ate? Was it your experience, as you mentioned, having had an eating disorder? What was it, Maria, that that caused you to want to be a chef and focus on preparing food for a living? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it stemmed from my um, my really poor relationship with it. And I'm a fixer, you know, I like to fix things. So when they're broken, I like to figure out why. And I really wanted to figure out why I had this aversion or this, um, complex relationship with food because I loved food, but I didn't know how to control it. And I didn't know how to feed myself the right way. So, my journey with with really cooking and and preparing food became more about nutrition and i remember when i was pretty young i remember my grandfather and my dad and i were talking about this just over the weekend we were together and you know my grandfather was so knowledgeable about nutrition in egypt back in the day he knew how much fat you should be getting and he knew the best source of complex carbohydrates and he knew you know how to how to get proteins on your plate and, and do it in the right proportions and he taught me a lot of that early on and when i really sat back and reflected i was like boy this information was given to me a really long time ago now i'm just kind of mining it and making it my own. So in my journey with food, it wasn't about um, just you know eating with abandon and, and not really caring about what you were putting in your dishes just as long as it tasted good. It was still making food that tastes good, but everything should be contributing something beneficial, right? At least 90% of the time. I live by the 90-10 rule. 90% I eat to thrive, 10%, I eat whatever the fork I want. <laughs> because we're human and we should be able to have a piece of birthday cake every once in a while, let's face it. Um, but if you, if you really want to accomplish what you set out, and that's where I come from in my point of view, I want people to feel so good and to be so set up for success that the food that they're eating is really about what will help them become the best version of them. 
And that's, and and that's why, that's why I do what I do. And, you know, I think rather than taking the traditional route of just working in a restaurant, you know, I started by catering events and doing smaller um, personal chefing gigs and then, you know, developing my product line, Eat Cleaner, which is the only line of all natural food, wash and wipes. And nowadays it's so much, so important to pay attention to how you're cleansing your, your food so that you avoid getting sick um, and then uh, creating content. Yeah, I want to come. Back, I want to come back to that because, I, like I said, I was listening to your podcast and, and digging through your website. But first, the, the question I have is: What is? How does one become a chef? Because I know you can go to certain culinary schools, but I worked in a restaurant, like a lot of people, at some point in my life during college, and I learned. I, I started out as a bar back, and ended up becoming a bartender. So I didn't become go through bartending school. So I just got that trade to fall back on if I ever need it. But and I know a lot of, there are some chefs in, that I talked to in the restaurant that started out as line cooks and they just progressed from there. So what is the preparation, especially for a non-traditional chef like yourself that might want to do catering or might want to do private consults or work with private clients? What is the process of becoming a chef? Well, I mean, you can you can take a lot of routes. You can go to a culinary school, of course. Um, I did a holistic nutrition program, and I think that really helped me take what I knew um, and what I had studied and put it into my own practice because I wanted what I made to be based in that. Um, but certainly, you can you know you can search for a program like that, or you can take your own route. I mean, a lot of chefs are, you know, cooks are self-taught. Um, and I think it's just, it's the, it's the time in the kitchen, you know, they say 10,000 hours, right. To make an expert. Um, and a lot of that for me was just tinkering, trying things, playing with things, working with techniques. Um, and boy, there's so much information online. Now you could, uh, you could take my eat to thrive program and probably learn quite a bit. (laughs) Because at some point I do, I want to, I need to take cooking classes. And I, I like the fact of what you mentioned that food is kind of utilitarian, not utilitarian, but food should have a, a purpose because that is, that is all honesty, how I approach food. That's why I don't make such a big deal out of it. I know I need carbohydrates. I know I need fats. I know I need proteins. So give us a little explanation. You're, you're describing this to me before, again, we were kind of having that dialogue, but in the, in the beginning, but describe what you mean by fit foodie. How do you integrate food into fitness? It's not like you're having people do burpees in the dining room, are you? <laughs> no. Um, well, if you think about it, you know, ab, you know the saying abs are made in the kitchen. Well, they're sculpted in the gym, but that's not really where you're burning fat, where you are stoking your metabolism, where you are um, creating a good gut health environment to help boost your immunity and, you know, protect yourself from infection. You know, all those things really happen in the kitchen and you can never out train a bad diet. I know it's so cliche, but think about this. And I think this is like the fork drop for a lot of people. Calories are just a unit of heat. You know, it's not, it's not information. Food is information. So once you eat it, your body either processes it as something that's building you or breaking you down. It's either, you know, getting you into shape or it's potentially kind of gunking up your engine. You know, it's that 
it's that bad gas versus the high octane stuff that's going to really get you motoring. And you just can't undo that information. You know, your body has already processed it and has decided. So if you, if you look at a, a candy bar and you see that it has 300 calories and you look at, um, you know, a, a chicken, half a chicken breast and some broccoli, boy, your body does not process those two things the same way. So I want you to be cognizant of it, not obsessive, but cognizant of filling your plate with non-starchy vegetables, with good quality protein that can be plant-based or, um, you know, meat for the omnivores. I, I really don't advocate one or the other. In fact, in my book, I do introduce people to eating more plant-based a couple times a week to give their digestion a break. And we do an intermittent fast those two days. And it really, there's great science that corroborates, you know, the efficacy of, of doing an intermittent diet at least a couple of days a week and how it helps with um, inflammation and sleep and hormone resets. But, um, but my point is the, the work happens in the kitchen and then the sculpting happens with your fitness. So to be a fit foodie is to make good choices in the kitchen um, and that, and that's 80 to 90% of your success. You alluded to it a little bit, but talk a little bit more. Cause I was listening to your podcast on, on immune immunology and how the foods that can boost the immune system. And I'm going to link to your podcast down below in the show notes, because for listeners, that's a great, I thought you had some great information in there, but talk a little bit more about the information that food provides. Cause I think a lot of people overlook that. And I really like I like that approach to it because what you're doing is you're trying to provide, we have to remember exercise. And this is, this is something I always point out when I do lectures, there's a term called mechanotransduction, Maria, where it is mechanotransduction means force applied to the body creates chemical change. So if you apply force to the muscles, fibroblasts will help repair and remodel muscle tissue. Force applied to bone creates osteoblasts. What, what creates that change or what stimulates cell production though comes from the nutrition we eat. And I'm learning how to yes. kind of tie this in much better. So describe a little bit more. If, if we exercise and we're creating that chemical change in our body, why is it so important to get food with high quality information as you refer to it? Yeah. Well, let me just, let me start with essential amino acids, basically the building blocks of protein. They're called essential for a reason. We need them for almost every function of our body. We need them to um, regulate our hormones. We need them to build muscle, which um, burns you know, fat and helps to boost your metabolism. We need them for sleep. We need them to feel a sex drive. I mean, it, it, there's so, they're so needed and you have to get them from food sources because your body does not create them. So imagine if you're not paying attention to this and you're feeling sluggish or you, know, you feel depressed. I mean, I, I would say, and I'm not a doctor, but I would say a lot of the afflictions out there that are being medicated could probably be fixed in the kitchen if people paid a little bit more attention to what they're putting in their mouth. Um, so essential amino acids contribute to so many things. Um, you know, leafy, leafy greens, anything that's green or any, you know, so many different vegetables and fruits, they help to create um, stronger cells. They help to boost uh, cell function and they help to 
um, keep your cells from an early death. You know, you have to think like these cells are something that we're born with and we have to take care of them. You know, we have to keep them from dying off. That's what creates disease as well as inflammatory response. So foods that help with eliminating inflammatory response. And that can be different for different people, by the way. Some people can have an allergy and that is an inflammation response to certain things while others don't. So it's important to know yourself individually. Um, And then fats. So going back to the cells, essential fatty acids help to feed your brain, help to feed your muscles and help to protect the cell wall. The cell wall is made of fat. So if you're protecting the integrity of the cell wall, it's keeping all its contents together, so to speak. Um, So every every food group has a really vital function. Carbohydrates give you energy. Um, And, you know, when we ignore one or the other, like I I hear people say, well, I'm I'm doing really well. I'm doing this juice fast for 21 days. And I'm like, what? Why are you doing that? Like, that's unless your doctor prescribes it because you're morbidly obese or there's something really, really wrong. Like people are doing these extreme diets and they're actually really dangerous um, and, and so I think we have to re-examine what popular culture is telling us to do and go back to what real honest nutrition is all about. It's, it's balanced food groups, it's making smarter choices, and it's a lot of hydration. It's funny, you mentioned you're not a doctor, Maria, but it, I interviewed recently a gentleman by the name of Dr. Minkoff, who runs the LifeWorks Wellness Center, and he he was talking about this exact thing. He was talking about mainly the toxicity that we get from the environment and how the body will create toxins. And if we're not eating properly, if we don't have a holistic approach to eating, and he's a medical doctor, he went to UC San Diego to get his medical degree. So he's not somebody that, that is making this up from reading a lot of stuff on online or seeing a lot of YouTube videos. I just want to point that out. Yeah. And, but his point, he, he, he actually made the change. He, he told me that through most of his life, most of his adult life, he was a vegan or a vegetarian. I forget he was a vegan or vegetarian, probably vegetarian. But as he learned more, as he started going down a holistic route and understood the role of protein, he started eating meats, but looking at higher quality meats. So I think you're hitting it right on the head. And as and I, right, right now, I'm really deep in the weeds for writing my next book called Ageless Intensity on how high-intensity exercise slows down the aging process. And one of the things I people think people don't realize is that high-intensity, if you're doing HIT, you mentioned earlier that you like HIT workouts. Mm-hmm. If you're doing HIT, your muscles need carbohydrate. And you're yes. right. That's not a 300-calorie candy bar. Yes. That means what – would, what would your recommendation – if if I'm somebody that enjoys being really active and I enjoy doing hard workouts, what, from your experience, what would be good high quality carbohydrates that I could put in my gas tank? Yeah. Um, and carbohydrates, I really, boy, what, what a weird thing that people have become so fearful of carbs. And the truth is almost every food except for, you know, certain fats and protein have carbohydrates in them. So, you know, getting them from slow burning sources that won't spike your blood sugar. I mean, the whole goal is to keep your body in a state of homeostasis, not highly acidic and, you know, really not swinging the other way either. Somewhere in the middle, an alkaline diet is very, very, um, it's a very good thing to do, but it's okay to eat 
um, a variety of foods in order to get your, your different food uh, groups in. So I would say good sources of carbohydrates would be things like sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes don't spike your blood sugar. They actually can help regulate your blood sugar because they're so full of fiber. And um, they're a great source of plant-based power. So sweet potatoes and yams, yams even better than sweet potatoes. Um, you can get it from uh, things like carrots and root vegetables like beets that again are high in fiber so they won't spike your blood sugar. You can also get it from single ingredient grains. I have a whole section in my book about this because I think grains, you know, there was the book Grain Brain and um, a lot of people have talked about how grains are so bad. Well, I, I vehemently disagree, um, especially when you look at indigenous cultures and their diets. I think it would be very, very selfish for us to say that grains are bad when they feed a good majority of the world. Um, it's just, again, what they are and how they function in your body. Um, and there are a whole variety of non uh, of gluten-free single ingredient grains that are wonderful for you. Um, you know, like I mentioned, you know, bulgur and amaranth and millet and spelt. These are all ancient grains. Um, even though quinoa is technically a, a seed, you know, I put it in the category of how it eats. You know, you can have quinoa. Quinoa has protein too, which is great for somebody who's not a meat eater. Um, and you can also get it from fruit. Uh, I love low glycemic fruit. Again, I'm all about not spiking the blood sugar. If you get the majority from berries, you can have strawberries, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries, knock yourself out with the berries. Um, and they're wonderful sources of antioxidants that help with your immunity. Uh, you can throw them into your smoothies, eat them fresh. Um, and the same goes for apples and pears and a variety of other fruit that will keep your blood sugar consistent. So those are all great sources of carbohydrates, even if you have the occasional banana. Like I, I don't want people to think that, oh, I've got to cut all this other stuff out. No, it's not about cutting. It's about eating those things more in moderation and focusing on the things that won't spike your blood sugar more. Well, that's interesting because I'm just, as you say that, I'm thinking about the, the, the advice I always give for exercise. And that is, there's not one type of exercise. You might love HIT, but you shouldn't be doing HIT all the time. You might love yoga. You shouldn't be doing yoga all the time. Yeah. The best exercise program is one that has a little bit of high intensity, a little bit of mobility and, and mind-body mindfulness like yoga, strength training, you know, mobil metabolic conditioning, where you get the heart rate up and use the energy pathways, you want to have a good balance. And it sounds like there are a lot of parallels there. So I can see where the fit foodie comes in. Now, let me ask you this. With, with your background, it, it kind of get a little personal here. What are some of your favorite foods? Like when you know you're going to do a hard workout, do you have like, a, do you have a specific approach? Do you do anything to nourish your body after a hard workout? What are some of your favorites? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I tend to refuel try and eat something within 30 minutes of my workout that's protein rich. Um, so I'll usually do like, I have a great antioxidant smoothie in the book um, that is full of berries and greens. Um, I am, I'm like such a fanatic for greens. I think if there's one thing that you could put into every single meal that would 
almost immediately change your health, it's green leafy vegetables. They're the most nutrient dense foods on the planet. So if I make eggs, you know, I'll always throw in a handful of spinach or chard or um, Tuscan kale or, you know, a little crown of arugula on top. Um, if I'm making a smoothie, I'll throw in a handful of something, you know, it's just, it's a great practice to have. So protein with something green and then, um, you know, for maybe one of my favorite meals are bowls. I love to put together different bowls. I'll use, you know, either quinoa or black rice. I'm a big fan of black rice. They, um, any foods, by the way, that are purple, in color contain anthocyanins. And those are a special class of antioxidants. They're like, you know, the, the Pac-Man of uh, anti-inflammatories and they really help to boost your, um, your health in, a, in a, an amazing way. So black rice is one of those grains. So I'll have black rice or maybe um, I'll do like uh, couscous I love. That's definitely part of my heritage. And, you know, some sort of protein. I'm, I'm an omnivore. I go through different periods of my life where I crave certain things more than others. Like I, I'm not, you know, I'm not one to say like, I won't have some steak, but there, there are sometimes I just don't touch red meat. It's just, I let my body dictate that. Um, but I love wild caught seafood. I might do like some grilled salmon or mackerel or, um, I even love like sardines that come from a can. I know that sounds weird and it's not very chefy, but um, I grew up on them and they're actually a great source of, you know, sustainable protein. Um, and then lots of, lots of veg. I, I, I build my meals around vegetables. I know a lot of people tend to build around like the protein, but I build around the produce. And when you start there and you fill half your plate with, you know, fresh vegetables or at least non-starchy vegetables. And then a third gets allocated to the protein and a third gets allocated to the, the grain. That's a great formula for building pretty much any meal. Well, it's funny you say that because as I get older, I really do appreciate all the different, all the different foods. And it's funny, the kid, the foods I used to abhor and, and not touch when I was in my, growing up in my, with my family in my teens and twenties, I'm thinking like Brussels sprouts and, and, and beets and asparagus. I don't, I don't make beets. I need to learn how to make beets, <laughs> but, I, but I love making, I'll, I'll, I'll make Brussels sprouts. I'll, I'll make omelets with Brussels sprouts and asparagus. And I was going to pause here real quick for listeners. If you're getting hungry listening to this, you're not alone because <laughs> I'm, I'm, been, I'm sitting there thinking of, okay, what am I, what omelet, am I going to make an omelet for dinner tonight? Because I do intermittent fasting, so I'm not going to eat for another couple hours after we record this. I'm going to do a few other things, but I'm sitting here thinking, oh, so if you're listening to this in your car, please do not hit a fast food place. Yes. You can hold on for a little bit. If you need to get something to eat, stop at a grocery store, go get something healthy. And if somebody is going to run into a grocery store for a quick snack, I, I talked to an, an, RDA, an RDA a long time ago who really was, her point was, if you have enough time to sit in line at a drive-thru, you have enough time to run into a grocery store and pick up one or two things. And so if somebody listening to this is going, oh, I'm really getting hungry and don't go to the drive-thru, stay away from in and out if you're in California, what would your recommendation be? What could be a quick snack that somebody might be able to pick up that might satiate hunger if they get that sudden urge. Yeah. Well, um, let me kind of just go back to the book because a lot of what I teach just in my book and in my program is meal prep. 
Um, I think, especially for the athletes out there, you know, hunger comes on, it comes on strong. And then you just kind of become like fuzzy and hangry, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that like feed me now. Um, so just doing some simple things to have them ready in your fridge and in your pantry goes a long way. Um, I pre-portion, um, bags with, with a nut mix. So I'll do like, um, raw almonds and I'll do some unsweetened coconut flake, um, maybe pumpkin seeds and some dried fruit. And I'll have that ready to go. Um, I also do cut up vegetables. It's a big thing that we do every week is um, we use the eat cleaner. It helps your produce last up to five times longer too. So you can get all of your produce cut, washed and prepped for the week. Um, And I'll cut up celery and little baby bell peppers and mini Persian cucumbers. And um, I love purple carrots. I buy the um, the mixed uh, baby carrots that have the purple ones in there and get those all washed and ready. And then I'll make a hummus or I have a great sun-dried tomato, um, white bean, basil dip that I make. So I'll make one of those. And then just having even almond butter and peanut butter nearby that you can scoop the celery into. Um, And then I'll hard boil eggs, um, have some of those ready to go, and then maybe have some low sodium jerky. Uh, That's a great snack to be able to have ready to go for the meat eaters. And maybe, uh, oh, one other thing, my protein balls. I'm pretty well known for my balls. Uh, Not those kind of balls, but the good kind. Um, It's not Schweddy's ball, not sweaty balls. Not sweaty balls. Um, (laughs) And the protein balls have protein powder and dates, which dates are wonderful food for not spiking your blood sugar because, again, they're full of fiber. That's the magic ingredient. Um, And they have nuts and other yummy things blended into them. So I'll make some of those or have – I made some for my daughter the other day. She was just like, mom, can you just always make these for me? Like she's in college now and she's just like, these are amazing. So having these snacks that you can just like even transport with you um, is such a valuable thing to just make part of your practice. If there was nothing else that you did and you just made a few snacks for the week, that would be amazing. Uh, but if you're out and about and you need to grab something, I mean, try and really read, be, be vigilant about reading the label. You know, marketing spin is an amazing thing just because it says gluten-free or it says, you know, low calories or zero fat doesn't mean diddly. Um, you really need to check the nutrient panel, see what kind of protein it has, see what kind of sugar and sodium. Sodium is something that we overlook, but it can be a real killer. So if it, you know, if it's got like, I try and stay away from things that have over 600 milligrams of sodium in one given meal. And if it's in just one snack, that's a lot. So just beware of the the nutrient panel. And that's so important because that is one thing I've been teaching personal trainers for years and there's a very specific scope of practice. Personal trainers should not, and in some States cannot give specific dietary information. And so for listeners, for those of you out there and you ask your personal trainer for nutrition advice, they really shouldn't be giving you specific nutrition advice. But what we can do, what we absolutely can do is get you to read the nutrition label so that you understand that that package you're buying is three servings and not one. So you take that, that means if there's 200 calories per serving, you're about, if you eat the whole package, you're about to, 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 to eat 600 calories. And that's one thing I've pointed out for years is we can really talk about the labels. How important is that to take the time 
to understand a label if, you, if people are buying the packaged food because we can't help it. I, I know there's always that recommendation of stay away from packaged food, but some food, packaged foods we need, we just Absolutely. simply need to get. Yeah. So how important is it to take a moment to read the label? I mean, it's critical. You know, I think if you, again, are, you know, your body is your temple and it's your house. And if you want to feel good and not feel like the food that you're eating is leaving you feeling sluggish and, um, you know, like you want to more go take a nap than you want to get on your bike or go work out, then, you know, there's something to reexamine there. Um, so I would go, like, if I were to pick something, from the store, you know, I would maybe grab like, um, just a, a thing of a nuts, you know, mixed nuts would be a great thing to grab. I always find that, and I call them fat fillers when you're really hungry and you need something to make you feel satiated, like a, a good trail mix is a great thing to do. Cause you've got like some dried fruit in there. You've got the unsweetened coconut, you've got the nuts. So you kind of, you're getting the carbs, but you're also getting more sustenance to help you feel satiated longer. So that's a great option. Um, you can go to the fresh produce section and get, they have those uh, snack packs that have like the hummus mixed with the veggies, the fresh veggies. That's a great choice to get if it's packaged and ready to go. Um, I would also look at maybe, you know, one of the bars that is just made with fruit and, uh, nuts that don't have sugar added or dates. That's a good option. Um, and you can also get, uh, I know that there are pre portion packets of nut butter. You could do that, uh, some nut butter, and then, um, maybe grab some veggies with it too, or a piece of fruit, you know, grab an apple and, put put a little bit of that prepackaged nut butter on there and clean clean the apple with one of our eat cleaner wipes and you're good to go. And I'm gonna I'll ask you that towards the end because I because I heard you heard your promo on that listening to your podcast. And it's interesting because as much I love I love the these suggestions. And what what I'm listening to Maria is, is that I really I, I eat a lot of this this is a way I've learned how to eat, evolved how to eat over time. It's one of my go-to snacks right now. And it's changes. And when you said that earlier it kind of occurred to me, and I think a lot of listeners can relate to this, is we you go through periods of your favorite exercise, right? There might be periods where you run, where you do more running because of the weather. There might be periods where you do more yoga because that's what your body's telling you to want. So I think there's a lot of parallels there between, I'm sure you'll go through, people go through periods where for whatever reason, you eat more of one thing versus another. Maybe it's seasonal, maybe it's whatever, but I really... One of the things I've had to learn how to do, because I love nuts and I love I love peanut butter. One of my go-to snacks is celery and peanut butter, but I have to be super careful because my older daughter has a very, a very bad nut allergy. Mm. And I found that out that we, we knew she had a nut allergy, but we didn't realize how bad. I had had one of those, one of my go-tos if I'm traveling around in mobile is at Starbucks is they have the protein pack, which includes apple slices, a hard one or two hard-boiled eggs, and a little bit, a little bit of peanut butter. And I'd had that before going to pick it up from school and I must have had some on my lips and I gave her, you know, of course, oh, being a dad, I gave her a kiss yeah. on the, on the cheek. Yeah. And an hour later, we're in urgent care with her face completely swollen, swollen up. Oh, we didn't, and, and since then we, I've carried EpiPens with me if we're out and about and away from the house for any period of time. And that's just, I just want to point that out that I love, I've had to really adjust because nuts were my go-to nuts yeah. and, and trail mixes and stuff were, and now I keep them on a top shelf. It's kind of like, I keep them locked away with my guns just so she doesn't find them when she's over here. 
because I still enjoy them as a snack, but I got to be much, much more careful about that. Now I want to shift gears here. Well, real can quick. I, can I just make a comment on that instead Absolutely. of nuts? Um, one thing that you can just start substituting is seeds, you know, mm. pumpkin seeds oh, wow. and okay. sunflower seeds and, um, you know, things of that nature will help to add the fat that you're craving, but okay. without the issue with the allergies. Cause we have, um, also one of our sons has a peanut allergy. So anytime we make things, you know, we just look to swap it out with, with a seed. That's okay. That's great. I didn't hear it I, I didn't know that it's something I'll take a look into with seeds. It's just one of those things where you learn that. And as a parent, I'm like, okay, nuts going to take a back, take a back shelf for a while. Yeah. Now, I want to kind of go back. You, you breezed over something very quickly earlier. And I think it's important. Obviously, I think, you know, the demographic of the podcast, I tried to provide information for people in their forties and beyond of how to use exercise to enhance the quality of life. And you mentioned something about diet, about the diet and nutrition we eat and how it relates to our ability to have sex. And mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, and I don't, I think people always might get a little giggle out of that, but mm-hmm. that's a very important part of life is having, oh, hell a, yeah, well, exactly right. <laughs> is, yeah. is being able to be intimate with your partner is having yeah. that energy and having that drive. So let's, let's take a moment on that. It, Cause I'll talk about the exercise ramification, but I'm interested in what foods would inhibit like a sex drive and, and what foods would be able to incur or be able to support a healthy sexual appetite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and you know, there are the, I guess, stereotype aphrodisiac foods that supposedly get you in the mood. But when you really look into what those are, it's about the nutrients that they're rich in, right? So oysters are very rich in zinc um, and mm-hmm. other trace minerals. And you can get the same thing. You don't have to eat oysters. You can get them from seeds. Again, talking about seeds. Um, and you can get them from beans. So I'm not recommending eating a whole lot of beans to be intimate, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> it's, it's not about what you eat right before. It's about what you eat consistently. Um, beans and lentils are great sources of zinc. Um, same goes for, you know, chocolate. Um, chocolate in its pure form is incredibly healthy and good for you, full of magnesium, right? It's just most people have the chocolate that comes with a lot of the saturated fat and sugar. So, you know, try and um, select chocolate that's made with at least 70% or more unsweetened cacao. And even making treats, like I mentioned about the the balls that I make, I make this um, no-bake brownie or fudge, I guess, guess you could call it with, it's just four ingredients. It's dates, cocoa powder, coconut oil, and sesame seeds. It's like our Middle Eastern halawa. And uh, it's wonderful. And it's so, it's so good for you and so satisfying. Um, and you'll get that little bomb chikawawa from the, the cacao. Um, and I think, you know, just in general, staying away from foods that bloat you, um, a lot of dairy is has that bloating effect for people, so just watch out for that. Um, I really like fermented foods, though, like yogurt. And for a lot of people, yogurt, like good quality Greek yogurt that doesn't have any sugar added to it, won't have that effect because the yogurt is rich in probiotics and a lot of the dairy is actually digested um, by the time you eat it. So I, I have that prominently in my book and 
Um, I think you can explore eating more probiotic rich foods, including yogurt, if it doesn't bother you, but avoid the, the ones that come with a lot of sugar. They can cause bloating and that's not going to make you feel very sexy. Um, and neither will fried foods. You know, foods that have a severe inflammatory effect include very fatty meats, um, like bacon and fatty sausages, things that are fried, uh, like French fries and deep fried foods. Um, and so does alcohol. I mean, alcohol might feel, make you think you're in the mood, but it's a really false sense of feeling sexy. And once it wears off, you're going to feel the opposite. So, you know, I think it's what you do the 90% of the time and not just leading up to the moment. <laughs> Well, no, that's but I think that's a very important. As you say that, magnesium I know is a is an electrolyte, and magnesium can help, and the electrolytes help with the uptake of oxygen into the muscle cells. So it's mm-hmm. interesting to hear that a couple of foods you mentioned, zinc. I'm not as I know zinc is very important. It's a very important micronutrient, um, and it's really you know, it's funny to hear that. And the reason why I ask this is because I want to make the point for listeners too, is that exercise, certain types of exercise can promote a healthy sexual appetite. Whereas strength training, high intensity interval training can elevate, especially in men, can elevate levels of testosterone. And, and so you look at that, if you combine, the reason why I'm saying this, because if people have a, a, a diet where they're not making great choices and maybe they're eating more fried foods or maybe they're eating foods that are for whatever reason cause inflammation, and then they're doing exercise, they're doing excessive periods of exercise that might be more catabolic, meaning they're going to have higher levels of cortisol. Yes. Th- their sex drive is going to go p- through the floor. Exactly. And whereas if, if people are a little bit more mindful about the nutrition they eat and understand that, okay, that hit class, not only is that hit class good for burning calories, but I can get a boost for, from tea. Or if I get, if I do strength training, not only am I going to burn, you know, develop more muscle, but one of the ways you develop more muscle is it elevates testosterone. And in women, strength training will elevate more growth hormone. And I really think you, you, you talked earlier about the amino acids, but I really think people just have to be a little bit more aware of that whole, we started with that chemical balance. I think people need to be aware of that more holistic approach to how both play together. And oh, obviously- yeah, it's, it's definitely not just the amino acids. It's all of those macronutrients. And I think one other really, really important thing that I haven't mentioned yet is my approach is to eat multiple small meals. I think what ends up happening is a lot of the time people get into this mindset where they have to eat three big meals. And that's not necessarily really conducive to staying energized and, and um, keeping your blood sugar consistent. If anything, it can help it really you know, go the other way. So I like breaking those three meals up into what I call five mini meals. And, um, and, you know, there's a lot of science that also supports how those smaller meals will help to stoke your metabolism. And at the same time, not make you feel so like sluggish and you're just sitting there trying to digest and you feel sick because you've eaten too much in one meal. Well, it's spreading out the calories. And that's, and that's one thing It's spreading out the calories. You're managing insulin you're managing how your body digests it. And you mentioned intermittent fasting earlier. And I interviewed a friend of mine who's a professor of nutrition at San Diego state a couple months ago, because I've been doing intermittent fasting for most of the last year on the recommendation recommendation of my medical doctor. And mm-hmm. I don't like, I, I don't, I'm not saying that because I recommend it for people. 
for listeners out there, I'm saying that because I've found I like it because what I'm, one of the things I like about it is I don't need to deal with, I go through periods of 12 to 16 or 18 hours where I don't have to really worry about food. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not spending time. And I do try to go through meal prep on, on, on the weekends. And, and I've found that over part of my job, my normal job in the before times was traveling around and, and giving lectures and workshops. And so I'd be on my feet for hours at a time. And it just, it helped me train to be more active and more ener- energetic with that. Do you, it sounds like you don't. And I really like that because one of the things I find very annoying in, in the fitness industry are people who describe themselves, well, I'm vegan, I'm keto, I'm blah, 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 blah. Now, do you prescribe to any any type of specific approach? We, you start off by mentioning your Egyptian background is naturally a Mediterranean diet. So for, for listeners, what do you, you know, taking all these different things out there, what would you describe as like, a, if somebody is going to go that direction, what should they avoid and what should they kind of try to look to if they're looking towards one of these popular methods of eating out there? Yeah, I mean, I think anytime you have a restrictive approach to eating, which eliminates a food group, you just have to be conscientious about what that food group represents as far as nutrition, right? So, um, you know, if you if you feel like eating animals is not the right thing to do, I mean, all, all power to you. Like I, I cannot mess with that. That is um, a truth for people. And that is something that they need to adhere to. Um, I think that you just have to be very understanding that if you're a vegan or you're a vegetarian and you're cutting out all animal proteins, which are um, a large source of amino acids that you're getting them from combining beans and rice, or you're getting enough quinoa, or you're just being conscientious of plant-based power in general, protein, um, getting that power from protein uh, that are plant-based sources. Um, I think I think a lot of these diets are very dangerous. Um, I and I he will remain nameless, but somebody that I was talking to who was just telling me how he was crushing it eating keto and all of the meat he was eating and the cheese and everything. And then I found out he was in the hospital with heart issues. So I don't wish that on anybody. And I I just don't think you can eat that way with abandon for any sort of longevity and, and thrive. Like, I don't think it's physically possible unless you are just made of some sort of, your arteries are, are different than my arteries. So I think you have to approach these things really with a lot of caution Um, And that's why I like a balanced approach in general and mixing things up so that you are giving yourself a chance to burn more on some days and burn less on others. Like with exercise, you know, some days you're going to do HIIT training and some days you're going to do yoga. You're not going to do yoga every day because you're not going to get the efficacy that you would if you mixed it up. It's the same thing for food. Some days I want you to eat more calories and some days less. And I really go into a lot of detail about that in my book. Um, But I will say across the board, the foods that you should avoid are processed foods that contain um, artificial ingredients. I think across the board, you should really avoid soda. I don't think soda really brings anything beneficial to the table, especially diet soda. People think that because it has no calories, it's better. It's actually worse. It's what I call, forgive my French, but a chemical shitstorm. You know, there's too many things in that that confuse your body, and you don't really need that. 
Um, and I think anything that is, um, that is deep fried. I know people love fried food, but fried foods are so bad for you. Um, the inflammatory effect of something that's deep fried. Like I think maybe one of the worst things that you could eat is a donut. It's like, it's white flour, sugar, and it's deep fried. It's just like, it doesn't get worse than that. Um, so just, you know, things to try and completely kick out and alcohol is not that great either. You can have the occasional glass of wine, you know, three to four ounces, not a goblet, but, you know, have one or two every once in a while. Um, some say you can have red wine more regularly. I just think it's good to keep it more as an occasional practice because it's also high in sugar uh, and you want to you wanna be careful of your sugar intake in general. So nothing chemical, nothing artificial avoid the fried and be real, real discretionary with the alcohol. Well, it's interesting you say that because I don't, I haven't drank alcohol for years and it just, it, it doesn't agree. It doesn't agree with me and it, for on a variety of different levels, but I do enjoy the occasional. I, I do look for small batch root beers. I look for more of the natural sugar root beers. I figure root beers and, and one or two of the, of the sodas like that, because that is, I'm like, oh, you, you mentioned earlier, that is kind of like my 10% is is being able to every now and then have a good a, a good refreshing root beer and i know personally i know at some point i need to really take a look at the sugar of my diet but hey it's all all in stages and all doing a little bit at a time 100 percent. and again you know i don't i don't say anything like absolutely you know don't do it if if there's something there that gives you pleasure even with the sugar you know i mean i'm i'm never gonna you know if my mom, God rest her soul, like would have made me a, a pie or, you know, one of her sweets. Like I, I can't say no, but I'm just going to do it really occasionally. And I'm going to do small portions. So, um, I think it's important that people don't feel like what they're eating is making them feel like they're suffering. <laughs> you well, know and the I mean? reason why I say that is you're absolutely right. Cause I, I, I haven't used that phrase, but you're right. Diet soda is a shit storm of chemicals. And I don't, I specifically people are like, you're not drinking diet. And I'm like, no, I'm not drinking diet. I'll, I will gladly take the sugar as opposed to the chemicals that are trying to recreate sugar. Cause a lot of people don't realize that those That's chemicals right. lead to an insulin spike the same way. And your body just isn't, it's not as, it doesn't know what to do with them. It really doesn't. It's kind of like, what is this? And it gets deposited in your um, fatty tissue and your body it just gets gunked up with chemicals. Like the doctor that you interviewed, you want to try and keep your, your body as chemical free as possible. That's really, it, really important. If it's natural, it's okay. And it's funny too, sometimes too, Maria, that, that I want to point out is that sometimes people will be like, well, you're having a soda. And I'm like, you're, I've watched you put back two or three glasses of wine. <laughs> there's yeah. really not much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot. And, and, and that's usually when we're at a hotel, if we're like at a hotel traveling at a conference or something, and we're at the hotel bar, I, I, I'll drink a soda. You know, they're, they're like, you're having soda. I'm like, well, you're drinking alcohol. There's the sugar is sugar. You know, I, I'm drinking that's sugar right. that, that doesn't come with alcohol. Now to switch gears real quick, I, I was fascinated by this because it's interesting years ago, and I wish I could remember the book, but I read something in a book about cleaning food. And one of the suggestions in the book was using a mixture of water with just a little bit of, of bleach. And that was recommendations. And that was specifically a recommendation given to American diplomats traveling abroad that might be traveling to countries that have 
different microbes in it that the normal American, the normal American might not be adjusted to. And that was when I first became a little bit aware that we need to do, when it comes to cleaning our food, we need to do more than just running underwater. Now, granted, I'm not that good at that, but that's why when I listened to your podcast, I was really intrigued by one of the products that you produce and describe that, talk a little bit about the need for cleaning the food and why, why there's a difference in how we clean it and, and store our food. Yeah. I mean, um, and living abroad, obviously, you know, the, the awareness around parasites and microbes and things I think are a lot higher than here in the U.S., although we're starting to catch up, especially with COVID. Um, but when my dad, who was an environmental scientist, got cancer, he was told to avoid raw foods, including raw produce, because of the risk of foodborne illness. And many people don't know this, but in the U.S. alone, over 48 million people reportedly get foodborne illness every single year. And a lot of that comes from fresh produce. Five out of the 10 most foodborne illness-causing foods are fresh produce. And the number one cause is leafy greens. So as much as I love them, we got to make sure they're clean. I mean, you probably heard about all those romaine lettuce recalls a couple of years ago that were plaguing the media. It just seemed like every other week there was something being recalled. So um, we can avoid that and we can do it in a safe way. And, and that's why we created Eat Cleaner. And it's all plant-based material. It's so safe. You can eat it, which I wouldn't say the same thing about the bleach. Um, I literally <laughs> well, would unless, spray- unless you I, listen to the president, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't do that. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, you know, when I was on, I've been on HSN and QVC many times and I would spray it into my mouth and you would, the host would have the funniest look on their face. They're like, oh, wow. But I would do it because I wanted to show how safe it was. And it's just, it's made of food grade ingredients. We patented it um, and verified its efficacy with five different independent lab studies that it removes up to 99.99% of the residue that can make you sick. And that includes microbes, it includes parasites, it includes the pesticide residue that you can't remove with water. Again, that toxicity that's really important to address. And uh, we made it so that it will help your produce last up to five times longer. So you're not only getting the health benefit, you're helping to prevent food waste and it's a miracle in the kitchen when you're doing meal prep because, you know, it helps your produce last longer. So you're going to be able to go back to it and, uh, and not have your produce, you know, rotting prematurely in your fridge. Well, and that, that's what caught my ear when, when I was listening to your podcast was the fact I'm one of these people, and I'm sure there are a number of listeners out there like this, and I'm sure you've probably heard this from people that maybe you've consulted with where I'll go to the grocery store and, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get the squash, zucchini. I'm going to get the the sweet potatoes and get all that stuff. And I find if I don't do food prep right away, then what happens? They sit in the refrigerator for a few days and then I find I chuck 80% of that out yeah. or I make make an omelet. <laughs> I either make an omelet with it or I, or I put it into the, into the smoothie in the blender. And that's why I'm like, okay, I didn't realize, and I maybe knew this, but, but I don't, it's not top of mind. And I didn't realize how important that cleaning and storing food properly was to ensuring that it'll last an extra few days in the refrigerator, which is huge. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think it lasting, it being convenient, it being something that, I mean, you can see the difference. If you go to eatcleaner.com, we have a lot of before and afters, um, and you can see the difference in your food. And 
sometimes I'll, you know, save the water from when I've cleaned produce and it's so murky and disgusting. And I'll be like, well, Hey, do you want to drink this? And people are like, gross. Why would I want to do that? And I'm like, well, you kind of (laughs) are if you don't wash properly, you know? So it it is really important. Well, well, especially if people go to farmer's markets, because I know that is a big thing. Well, it was, and I keep referring to the before times and I think we all know what I mean, but I think farmer's markets really are. I I miss the one thing I miss uh, about living in downtown San Diego. And I don't know if you've ever been there was the little Italy, the little Italy in, in Hillcrest both had these phenomenal, phenomenal farmer's markets. And it was always so much fun to go there on a Saturday or Sunday morning. Little Italy was on a Saturday morning. And, oh and, yeah. I've been there Hillcrest many times. It was yeah. on a Sunday morning. And it just, it was so, it's so amazing because all the local farmers will bring stuff in. And I really, as I'm, as I'm thinking about it, this is where your, your food cleaning wipes really would come in handy for people that are devotees of of the of the of these fresh markets, correct? Well, about ten years ago, I was at that market spent selling our eat cleaner products. That very market that you're talking about in San Diego. So yes, I mean that's kind of where we got our roots, so to speak, is selling directly at the farmers market. Um, and now you can find us in retail locations in in many states um, on Amazon, on you know Thrive Market online at eatcleaner.com. But, you know, the, the real, the trick here is creating a habit, right? It's just like anything. Once you get into habit, then it becomes your lifestyle. And when you start cleaning your produce, you start becoming aware of the bites that you're taking. Every bite becomes a bite of you, the BYTE of your, you know, amazing body. And just it takes a few times. And once you do it, it just becomes part of your lifestyle. I, I think it's really important that people give that a chance. And that, then it's one thing I find is that when you do it regularly, it does personally, I mean, my experience, it does become a habit. And I, I hear the same thing from clients. And of course, we go through periods like with everything where you get busy, maybe you travel and you get out of that habit and you, you got to get back in and clean it up a little bit. Well, to wrap it up, let's let me have you give listeners more information because I love again. I need to pick up a copy of it. I love the title "Eat Like You Give a Fork." I mean, I love that as a writer. I love that play on words. Mm-hmm. And I know you have a pretty. I've started following you on Instagram. Not that I'm stalking you, but I, I, I'm looking always looking for ways I can do a little bit better and and change change one or two things. But what are ways that people can can learn more about your approach to food, can get some healthy recipes, and maybe just start taking the steps to eating a little bit better themselves? Yeah. I mean, I would really encourage people to get my free program. It's a 14-day reset. And you also get 30 clean eating recipes. So it's a pretty good deal. Um, and all you have to do is text Fit Foodie, F-I-T-F-O-O-D-I-E to 22828 and you'll get on the mailing list and that'll come to you in your inbox. Start there um, and then certainly love to have you follow us at Eat Cleaner on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I do have a ton of content out there, but I also like to give people bite-sized bits and help direct them in the right way. So um, start with that free reset and and go from there. And that's that's really cool. And at some point, I'm going to circle back once I get this next book in the can and and out from the publisher. I'm going to circle back and and hound you to come on your podcast and share some some insights and 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 to speak with your audience. Well, Maria, I really appreciate your time today. This is I, when I got got the pitch from from 
from your team. I looked at it and I was like, wow, this, I, I'm looking for this conversation. I just want to say <laughs> you, you, you really didn't disappoint. I, there's a lot I can learn about trying to eat better. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate to it because like with everything, right? Once you do it on a consistent basis, the, the way you feel is so much different. And I really would encourage people that if over the last few months they've been folk, they've just gotten away from some of their habits, I'd really encourage people to check out your website, check out your content. I'm gonna have a couple of links below and really try to do their best to get back to eating just smarter. And I don't like to tell people to eat a certain way, but just be mindful. I mean, how yes. important is that to have that that approach of when people approach their their nutrition? Oh, it's it's life changing. I mean you know, I just keep saying, especially right now, you know, the second wave of this pandemic is emotional distress. It's depression. It's people just being so out of their routine because they're not doing things. They don't have the freedom to do things the way they want. And they're scared. There's a lot of fear. Fear creates a lot of cortisol in our bodies. It's so important not to feed that fear with food that brings you down. Um, and so I would say now more than ever, get, get started with this reset, start today, text fit foodie to two, two, eight, two, eight, and, and jump in with both feet because it will change your life and you will see things change so dramatically. I, I, I could tell you stories about how people literally that I coached 10 years ago, still to today, thank me for, the shift that it made in their life. But you have to take the first step. That's critical with everything, right? Whether it's exercise, whether it's nutrition, whether it's financial. But I really I really appreciate the work that you do. I really appreciate your time today. So thank, thank you. you so much. And, and I look forward to, to having another conversation with you further down the line. Thank you. That was a fun conversation. I really... To be honest, and those of you that listen to this podcast before, you've heard me say this. One of the reasons I started this podcast is to be selfish, is to have conversations like this, right? I, I mean, we all can get a little bit better with nutrition. We could all do better things in our life. We can all maybe work out a little bit differently, work, do just things a little bit better. Well, one of the things, one of the benefits about having this podcast is I get to have these conversations with smart people doing fabulous things. And I get to get a few ideas. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I talk to somebody like this, I feel validated about, yes, I'm doing these things. Yes, I'm doing it right. Or dang it, I didn't think about doing it that way. And really, I try to, I don't, I'm not perfect at it, right? I try to do the meal prep things. I find that the weeks I do meal prep, when I spend time on Sundays to make a stew or to make a chili that I can eat all week long or to prepare veggies, prepare fruit, man, my, my meals that week are much better. I feel much better. I sleep better. Everything just functions a little bit better. And if you're looking for better function in your life, check out a copy of my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. There's a link down below in the show notes. I also have a couple eBooks that are available on my website. Go to my website, PeteMcCallFitness.com. I have eBooks out on dynamic anatomy. I have a brand new eBook out on core training. It's Everything you need to know about developing a strong core to enjoy all your favorite activities. And the other one I'm getting ready to release very soon is Exercise for the Fountain of Youth. It goes to the science of how exercise can and does slow down the aging process. So go to PeteMcCallFitness.com, 
check it out. Sign up for my, my mailing list on PeteMcCallFitness.com. I will send you a chapter in my book, Smarter Workouts, and keep you up to date on different programs that are coming available. So when it comes down to having conversations about nutrition, I am always open to suggestions. I am always open to new ideas. And when I saw somebody, when I saw that Maria labeled herself or identifies herself as a fit foodie, I really, that was a conversation I wanted to have, and it did not disappoint. I've been listening to her podcast. She has a great podcast that really has been giving me some great ideas for what I can do to, uh, to cook a little bit better. That's, that's one, and, and to be honest, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Some of you might know my ex-wife. Some of you might be friends with her, but, but here's the thing. As much as I respect my ex-wife, I'm going to try to get in a little competition with her. I want to learn how to cook better because I want, I want to get in a little competition with the kids. Like when I try to cook for my for the kids, sometimes they complain that my food's not that good. As much I, I totally love and respect my ex-wife, but I think I need to have a little bit of fun. I want to start making better food than her and get a little competition that way. So I'm gonna let you in on a little secret on that one. It's not not anything bad, but she's always giving me a hard time about the food I make. My kids have started giving me a hard time. Hey, like I said, I eat I eat for function. I make sure I have the carbohydrates, make sure I have the fat, make sure I have the protein. But if my kids are giving me a hard time and my ex is giving me a hard time, I've decided I must try to step up my game and try to learn how to cook better. And after having this conversation with Chef Maria, I am definitely, definitely motivated to start doing that. And I've already started looking online a little bit, started trying to play around, get outside. I think a lot of us get stuck in this, right? A lot of us have maybe five or six recipes we go to on a regular basis. So I'm trying to get better at that because let's face it, food is the fuel that drives our energy. If you have a Porsche, you're not going to put the cheap gas in it. If you want to have, if you want to use exercise, if you are a fit and junkie, you can't out train a bad diet, right? And it's not so much, especially as we get into our late forties, fifties and sixties, Yes, it is about looking good. It's about managing a healthy body weight. But most importantly, it's about having the energy and the strength to do what you want to do. To me, that's what fitness is. Fitness is the ability to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And optimal nutrition plays a key role in that. So I really invite you. I'm going to have links down below to her Instagram page. I've been getting great ideas from it. I'm starting to listen to her podcast. I haven't picked up a copy of the book yet, but I will have a, a link to the book, Eat Like You Give a Fork. And really, I want to say, Chef Maria, thank you so much for joining me. And hopefully we have this conversation again down the line. And for listeners, I want to say thank you so much for tuning in. It really is an honor to have you spend your time with me. I try to respect that. If you have any feedback or comments, please shoot them to me, Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. That's Pete at PeteMcCallFitness.com. Follow me on Instagram, PeteMcCall underscore fitness. That's PeteMcCall underscore fitness. I try to put up relevant fitness content on there. And also you can link to me on YouTube. I do the All About Fitness podcast channel on YouTube. I'm finishing up writing my second book, so I've been in the weeds with that. I've been eating the weeds on a couple of important articles that I got contracted to write, and I'm trying to get better. Once I get the book out of the way, I'm going to be putting a lot more content up on YouTube on a regular basis because I want to use the YouTube channel to be able to give you information on what you can do. And that's what I'm trying to do with this podcast, with the YouTube channel, with the books I write. I'm just trying to put information out there on how we can use exercise to enhance our quality of life. So as always, thank you for stopping by. And I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.